0: Hello everyone, this is Mark just welcoming you back to Creative Psychopaths Podcast and uh, asking you yet again to uh, share the podcast around if you like it and don't forget, listening to the podcast is optional It's not OBEY! everybody welcome back to um creative psychopaths a horror movie podcast uh well you thought we were dead but no yet again we've risen from the grave to um bring you someone else's uh, horror history and today we're going to be talking to andy hi mark hi everyone uh who like i say is going to talk to us about his horror history i'm going to do my best well that is literally all we can ask for uh, so now I'm going to become very unorganized and find my questions. Oh, here they are. So the first question I've got is what is the first horror movie you can actually remember seeing?
1: I suppose the first ever horror movie, so so to speak, kind of hits quite a few categories because it's also the one that always that got me into horror movies, also the one that always resonates with me as being one of the scariest films I've ever watched. So I don't know if that's because I was at a young age. But it was original Amateurville horror. Um, I thought I just thought it was a phenomenal film. And 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 I say phenomenal quite loosely. The fact that I'm trying to look back at my life back then. I'm sure I was around about nine. <laughs> so a nine-year-old and watching horrors and uh, then just falling in love with horrors and being exposed to Amateurville horror. Um, the real the realism of the Amateurville horror story, too, which is uh, if, yeah. you, if you're looking back at it now as a 40 year old thing, and uh, it's quite powerful really for a 9 year old, but yeah, Amberville Horror was the first one that really, my first memory of horror, uh, first exposure to horror. I think if we move on a little bit, Mark, I think there's an element of if we look at like what got me into horror was around about the same age, we watched, I watched um, a lot of Hammer, Hammer horrors. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Hammer House of Horror TV series, which I think was in the early 80s. But what what reminds me of horror and what got me into horror was watching those series and I, I'll always remember it. I was about nine years old. I've, I've done my best to try and remember this, but I was nine years old, I'm sure. And uh, I used to go to my me, me um, down live down the road from me. We used to go there on a the weekend and there, there was a woman, I'd love to know her name, three or four uh, houses down Uh, I don't even know who the lad was I'm sure he must have been a friend of that time but again I can't remember the name but anyway I digressed what happened is we used to always go on the weekend and the mum used to always record the Hammer House of Horror series and I think it was on a Friday night so I used to always get mixed up with with it beginning was it Fright Night or was it Hammer House of Horrors but I presume it was Hammer House of Horrors the mini series she'd record she'd record them on a Friday and we'd watch him on a Saturday, around about dinner time. She'd do a lunch. And the best thing about it, and the biggest and best memory of it is, she'd close the curtains, she'd turn the lights off, she'd close the internal doors, and there we were, two young lads, nine or ten-year-old, watching the Hammer House of Horror at 12 o'clock on the midday uh, with a few snacks. And uh, it, it, it was that magic of, obviously, like, movies, getting, uh, and you know, but the horror... And, I, and again, I look back on the history of my love of the genre of horror and how I got into it, and I always go back to that. But I always question the fact of how did we get to that point? And um, is is that is that, usual, is that normal uh, to nine-year-olds, to be watching horror movies, um, you know, in a house? Of, and, and again, I, I can't. Understand, or I can't relate to who it was, but it's a very, very, very vivid memory and a vivid memory of my introduction to horror. And from them series of Hammer House of Horrors came my first one, which was Amityville. Um So sorry, and i, I oh, sorry if that's too long winded, Matt. Uh, there's I know that that's kind of like the two questions are kind of
0: intertwined, but that's what I remember as a young lad and, and, and getting into horror. Oh, I mean, that's uh, an actually really wonderful answer. And uh, I can tell by the way that you're talking that you obviously really love horror films. Um, and you've got a long, a long history with it. And I think nine year old is, is young, but it's what you can accept, isn't it? You know, it's what, what you can take. I mean, Hammer's not, you know, it's not over the top horror, really. It's, it's really an absolutely great way to um, introduce yourself to it. Yeah. Um, And Amityville's scary. It's scary even now. It's one of the movies that I'd land in the actual scary category. I mean, I love... Yeah. I love horrors the same as you do, but some of them are just a thrill to watch, but others are tension-building and scary, and that's one of them. So the fact that you managed to watch that at at nine years old, and I don't know if you got any sleep after watching
1: it. yeah, it is quite a strange one, isn't it? Like you say, if you get introduced to horror and at that age, Amityville horror, yeah, it hits quite a lot of boxers, Done it? For the horror, for the scare factor psychologically. Yeah. Um, I, I always, I think, well, the first, the, the thing that really always kind of hits me with Amityville horror is the, uh, the priest and the window slamming down on his hand. I think, I'm sure that's the, the case. And all the room full yeah, of the flies. yeah. That, that for some reason, always keeps resonating with me. That If I have a memory of Amityville Horror, it is obviously the the fact that the house looks like a a face, or imitation of a face. But the fact that the priest part, that that really, yeah, that definitely resonated with me from that film.
0: Yeah, great. (laughs) Right, so um, let's move on to the next question, which is, and I believe I already know the answer, but let's go in anyway. What is your favourite horror movie? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes you do, uh, but I'm sure the people who are listening don't uh, I think, and I stand stand to this day and I will die on this hill That uh, The Exorcist is not only the greatest horror movie of all time But I also believe it's the greatest film ever made uh, The production, the acting, uh, the effects of the time, the scare, everything And if I go back to being that young horror fan, Mark, of nine, 10 year old. it was also the fact that, growing up at that age, The Exorcist was always one of those, you're not allowed to watch it, you're definitely not allowed to watch it. You, your mum and yeah. dad were like, you yeah. were not allowed anywhere near that. It was obviously banned on TV at the time, so trying to get a copy and watching it um, took some doing, and I think the first time I ever watched Exorcist, I think it was on a pirate copy when I was about 15, 16-year-old. Um, uh, so... And from that day forward, I was obsessed with it. And obviously then, I think when I was gotten to young adult and not had a bit of adult money, I then went and bought The Exorcist on, on videos, a special, don't know what anniversary it was, but obviously it came with a Mark Hermode special behind the scenes, which just fascinated the hell out of me, the making of it. Did you, just everything that goes with The Exorcist, the stories, the, the behind it, the, the, you know, the, the, the possible, like, but the, the backstories, the deaths, and uh, yeah. the, the acting—it's yeah. uh, just—it's a fascinating, fascinating movie. And if, like I said, the effects, the effects for that age—you uh, the, the, know—the the fact that it was banned. Uh, 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 do you know what? I, I actually loved like watching trailers or reels of uh, footage of those people watching it in a cinema and getting, being truly and utterly scared, running out of cinemas, saying it was the devil's work and such forth. And I mean, obviously when I got into a bit of an adult life and speaking to the parents about horror, because obviously they knew about my uh, like love for horror from a young age. And when we spoke about The Exorcist, my mum my actually did relay a story about it, about her brother, who was the youngest brother, I think he's 10 years younger, he actually watched Exorcist at the time and yeah. he locked himself in a room for, for uh, a week. He wouldn't come out. I mean, after uh, having watched it? Yeah, <laughs> watching it, yeah. He actually he snuck to the cinema, snuck yeah. in, watched it and locked himself in a, in, a, in his bedroom for a week. I mean, this is coming from um, you know a young lad who was brought up as a staunch Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so the religion played quite a big part in the family and him going to watch that, Beyond his obviously, mother's and father's back uh, and coming back and being
0: frightened to death. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I just it's a brilliant film.
0: Yeah, it's right. And and uh, I've got a sort of history with it as well, the same as you, because it sort of, obviously it came out when we were too young to watch it. Um, well, yeah, obviously. Um, and I remember it was banned in my house for as long as i probably still is banned by my mum because she actually did go see it with my with her sister i think maybe when they were 18 or possibly older than that um but i remember her t- telling me they had to sleep with the lights on for so long after watching it and you know at that point you're an adult and it had such an effect on people not like cinema does these days people don't don't get that effect from it anymore not like they did back in those days when it was stories, you know, real stories of people, like you just told, and people fainting, and you know,
1: I, I love the story. What you even what you've just said about your mum, it's it's brilliant, and that's part and parcel of the Exorcist story. In the background, it's just it's a phenomenal film, uh, and I still still stand to this day that I think it stands up to today's uh, filmmaking. Um, the effects yeah. of, the, you know, now now it, it's been done to death, the discussion on The Exorcist, but the fact that in them days to try and get the breath on camera to then film in like a refrigerator sense, phenomenal. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, today we just add a little bit of, uh, you know, technology wizardry on there and there's the breath, but to just go to the extremes and the lengths of uh, the production uh, to get that wow factor was just phenomenal. Unfortunately, the... Uh, that some of the sequels and the following on uh, weren't as good. But, yeah.
0: No, I think TV series was quite good, I thought. Um,
1: it's one of those things for me, Mark. You know, because you love something so much. You don't yeah. want to ruin any kind of... So, uh, although I did watch the sequels, uh, well, I think I got to two and three, the TV, I didn't want to kind of ruin that image of love for Exorcist. So, I kind of stay away from it. And, I, and yeah, that 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 could be... You know, it could be a mistake on my part, but
0: yeah. That's up to you. Well, we'll definitely have to get you back one day and actually deconstruct the whole film and, and talk about it. So following on from that, um, see so you'll have a different, uh, probably a different answer again here. So what is your favourite horror franchise?
1: I, I thought long and hard about this, Mark. Uh, I mean, we've got the modern ones, haven't we? Like The, the Conjuring and stuff, and they're all great, but again... Yeah. I, I always go back to memory and what got me into horror. And again, you know, obviously the Hammer House of Horror, then we go on to the Yamanville. But then what we, what I was allowed to watch uh, as a young lad, 10, 11 year old, and I used got the, the video store, as we all did, was the fascination of Freddy Krueger. Yeah, right, so yeah. it, it, it has to be Nightmare on Elm Street for me. It really does. Um, I loved it. I mean, Apart from other things of like WWF WW, at the time, when I used to go to Blockbusters, well, it wasn't Blockbusters at the time, but the video store, yeah. it, it was between it was between Nightmare and Elm Street and, and Wrestling. Uh, and Nightmare and Elm Street always won. one. Uh, and at the time, I think, and I haven't looked up this, but uh, Nightmare on Elm Street number four. Was literally the, the the time when I was mad on horror, and that was the video was I, I was getting every weekend. Literally every weekend I was getting it. Um, and again, when, when we talk about horror, as much as in different guises, Nightmare on Elm Street resonates with me quite a lot because of memories of being a child and loving Freddy Krueger and the coolness in a sense because it was there was an element of going to school talking about Freddy Krueger and trying to act yeah, and, and yeah. say them strange and stupid comic comico. Uh, mannerisms um, it just yeah yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to go that's, that's me I'm going to go Nightmare on the Street that's me There's my I cup. think
0: that's an excellent choice I think that's a fantastic <laughs> All right have got a Freddy Krueger cup excellent <laughs> right okay awesome so that's the first slice of bread in this horror sandwich so let's get to the filling which is today's movie um, so we're going to be cu- talking about John Carpenter's They Live. Um, now, I'm going to have to wone up to something to you right now. This is the first time I saw it. Recently, you, you, you
1: only just watched it for research for this.
0: Yeah, yeah, this that's is the brilliant. first time I've seen it. And in fact, but, but that's you messaged me quite a few times about it and I've always gone, oh, yeah, that's an awesome movie. But I never actually got around to watching it. Um, and, and that that's okay. It's just the fact that I'm now, I'm.
1: do you know what? I'm really looking forward to knowing what your take on it is in 2022 and how that lives mm-hmm. up um and what you think about it. But sorry, I, you're the one interview me in a sense. So, sorry. I, I'm,
0: well, let's get, basically, I'm going to, I'm going to run through the plot here. Um So this was made in 1988 uh, for a $3 million budget and it, Actually only box office at 13 million, which is not the best box office, but it has gone on to gain quite a cult following, which I think you know has made it better since. And it's actually loosely based on a 1963 short story called Eight O'Clock in the morning. Um, which I thought was quite quite an interesting fact. So there's been a couple of these so far that have been based on short stories that I had no idea about. Um so that's interesting. So there's really only three main characters in this. We've got Roddy Piper or Hot Rod, yeah. as I'll mostly be referring to him in this film. Um, who's credited as being called George or Nada, which was the name of the character in the book. However, he's never referred to any character name in the film or he's not he isn't he's not given a name whatsoever. So <laughs> yeah. we're, we're gonna stick to Hot Rod.
1: But that, that 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 that's also the intrigue, isn't it, Mark? I mean, uh, I, it's good that you were looking at that, brought them facts up, and it's a film that I've watched many, many times over and over again. And did I did not know it was based on a short story until last week. It also it, it's also loosely based on a comic, which is called Nada. Yeah, and mm. it literally, if you look up at the comic Nada. Uh, the graphic uh, novels of it looks exactly how you would portray it on a scr- uh, script player, um, Nadia. So as I yeah. understand
0: it, John Carpenter made this film based upon the comic. So yeah, but obviously the comic is based on the story, short story. So we have Keith David as Frank. Now this is the first time I think I've ever seen this actor young. As I, as I can recall, I as soon as he started talking, I was like, I know that voice, and I know him as the president from Rick and Morty. But I also like visualizing that voice. I don't, I, it doesn't fit his youngness, if you know what I mean. It's it's quite strange. Yeah. And we have Meg Foster as Holly. So we're introduced to. I'm gonna. This is the first time and last time I will call him Nada but we're introduced to Nada, who is a homeless drifter. He arrives in LA looking for work. Um, he doesn't find any. He goes around. He sees a blind preacher who's talking about um, conspiracies and, and such like. He does find work at a construction site. Um, oh, but before that, he's walking through the nighttime and we see quite a few people mesmerized by the TV. Um, and at the construction site, I thought Piper was built. Like, more built than I ever saw him in a wrestling ring. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. And, and I
1: think one of the facts of John Carpenter wanting to, uh, you know, put Roddy Piper into the actual, he he liked his physique, but he also said he looked weathered. <laughs>
0: so uh, he, he looked de- like a true character. He definitely does. He he, he, he actually does, um, like, encompass that character. Really, really does a good job. Um, so at the end of the first day, he makes friends with Frank who invites him to live at a shantytown soup kitchen, which is run by a man named Gilbert. Ooh, the man named Gilbert. Uh, That night, while they all watch TV, a hacker comes on screen claiming that scientists have discovered signals are enslaving them, keeping them in a dreamlike state. People who are watching start to get headaches. Um... Hot Rod the next day follows a sus Gilbert and sees him talking to the blind preacher across the street at a church. He goes to check the church and discovers that the church singing is a recording. And he finds a secret meeting, the hackers there, and what looks like a drug lab with sunglasses and also a secret door with many boxes. Um I'm not quite this sure. This is when
1: it gets interesting. Not, this is when it gets interesting. I'm not quite
0: sure how he discovers the secret boxes that that secret <laughs> door. It just he it just sort of goes, hmm, door. Yeah, I'm just going to have a look at this wall yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit odd. Um,
1: I think. I, do, do you know what I'm going to say, Matt? What um, one thing that always strikes me in this film, and I love it a bit, um, but I think one one of the the things that is quite iconic, well for me anyway, is the blues intro, the blues music all the way through it. And right at the beginning, as you see the, the screen of Riley Piper being introduced, the character, is that blues overtune coming in. And I, I just, I, I kind of laugh and smile to a point. I, I think it's quite odd, but it works with a film. And it, for me, it's quite synonymous with that film now. So the, the blues kind of
0: yeah, the mu- overview, oh, over the music over, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, the music actually yeah, is good, yeah. Uh, so at this point, the blind preacher comes in and starts touching his face, but um, he, but Piper fucks right off. Uh, that night, the shanty town and the church are attacked in a police raid. The Hacker and the priest are shown to be getting beaten to death by the police. At this point, Hot Rod saves some guy, um, but it's a bit. I guess it's supposed to show that he's not a bad guy. It's tricky because. Um, up to this point and not until a little bit later on, he doesn't have much of a character. He's very quiet and very, you know, kind of reserved.
1: He's just, he's kind of keeping himself to himself, isn't he? Being yeah. uh, You know, just trying to make a living, trying to get by and such. And I think if you look a bit more into the film, uh, John to kind of had a political undertone with this film uh, and it was kind of aimed... Uh, at the Reaganism of USA at the time. Um, yeah. I think that was a slight dig at the economy at the time, too. Um, but I think it's the,
0: quite yeah. obvious, though, isn't it? Like, Ronnie, yeah. It's quite obvious what, it, what what statement he's trying to make with this film. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the next day, Hot Rod goes back to the church, steals one of the secret boxes. Um, he later opens it in the alley to, to discover all sunglasses. Um, he takes a pair and hides the rest in the rubbish. Now... What I was just saying to you, this is the point where his character switches to something else. From what I can tell later on, the sunglasses actually do sort of alter their state of mind or at least give them a sort of heightened drug effect. So you can see why that works. But anyway, after wearing a pair of glasses, he discovers a monochrome world of subliminal messages such as obey, marry and reproduce, no independent thought, sleep, bye watch TV, sleep eight hours, work eight hours, obey eight hours, no thought, uh, and all the magazines that he sees have all got subliminal messages. And any of the money has money, uh, <clears throat> the money has, this is your king on it. Um, it's So it's yeah. like what you were saying. It's like when you see this this message that we're getting, it's all very, um, I guess, The beauty of it is, is it's subliminal in the film, but a very obvious message. The audience, yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, there is some depth to it there. Um, The glasses also reveal that some people have skull faces and bulging eyes. Um, At the supermarket, Hot Rod makes fun of one of the alien's appearances. Um, Again, this is where, but you can also see this is where his ability on the mic in wrestling comes in because he's he starts being really good at putting people yeah down.
1: He, he starts ablibbing some some of the, the talk to and yeah. uh i mean some of the cheese some of the cheesy sentences he comes out with i mean the, the scene where yeah. you just discuss them there I, I haven't got it wrote down and i wish i had but it was kind of like he looks through the glasses and he says to one of them yeah you you look okay her she looks like i don't know she's got a face like a, a cheese greater or something like that. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's them little like that, cheesy yeah. lines yeah. which are just brilliant. And he does, he pulls it off. And, and again, like you say, it probably is helped from his background of wrestling. So,
0: yeah. 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 Well, um, oh, we'll get to it. Uh, so, um, oh, she says something into a watch saying that someone could see her. Um, and then yeah. it turns out there's a few people in the store who start reporting, you know, what he looks like. He's wearing glasses, all this stuff. Uh, stopped by two alien police officers, who he kills and escapes to a bank. Uh, at this point, we get the famous chewing gum speech. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all
1: out of bubblegum.
0: Yeah, and
1: um, what I have to say then, Mark, is uh, what a lad. And uh yes, again, he he came up with that line to John Carpenter and John Carpenter said to yeah yeah go with that then, but no one else knew what the line was going to be, I mean that that is a line where when I was a kid I'd sit in the playground and we'd all do it and laugh and it was brilliant and what what is interesting for me Mark is um, from you uh, you watching this for the first time ever and obviously you might have come across that, that cheesy saying in, in some memes or whatever but when he stood there and said that line how did that make you feel? Was it funny? Was it, you know, what was your overriding thoughts?
0: I knew it was coming. And it yeah. like you say, it's sort of been overrun over the years. So I didn't, it was good to see it in that in that way that this is where it comes from. Um, yeah. Like I say, I was sort of expecting it. Um, although I did read that actually he'd had that written in his wrestling book. Yes. So you know, Things like that. So it was like, this was something he was going to use in a promo. Yeah. I actually read, actually, that he quit WWF to film this. He did. Apparently, Vince McMahon uh,
1: refused to allow him to go and film it. Yeah, and so Vince he, McMahon, yeah. by all accounts, said, well, I've got other projects in line for you, of which he didn't believe. Uh, so he quit.
0: Right. Where are we going? He killed several of the aliens uh, in the bank, and one of them uses his watch to disappear. Um we cut to a parking lot studio studio 54 and he uses a woman from oh, I've written cable 54 i think it is studio 54
1: no it's, it's cable 54 oh, all yeah, right sorry 54. Yeah,
0: cable, 54. cable 54 uh he uses her to escape they go back to a house and we learn that she's holly um it quickly goes away but almost seems like at some point she's a, she's a sub waiting for a dom cuz she's she's <laughs> okay oh, you're in charge and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this woman loves what's going on here.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. In, it's the strike. It's it's the strike and I look not get me, Mark.
0: So he tries to get her to put on the glasses, but she chucks him out of the fucking window.
1: <laughs> get out of there. Use I,
0: your wrestling skills to perfection. I was not expecting it. I was not <laughs> expecting it. She chucks him out of the fucking window. She <laughs> thought he was in the one mumble. Get yeah. out. Because <laughs> at this point, I thought, oh, this is she's going to try the glasses on and they're going to team up together. But no. I was mental. I was like, all oh, right, brilliant. He manages to yeah. survive the fall somehow, which is incre- which is crazy. It um, seemed
1: like a hundred foot fall at one point, didn't it? You know, if you look at the back.
0: It does. It's almost a comedy fall, really. But, you know, he survives. Um, He's our
1: hero and he survives, so yeah.
0: So the next day he goes back to the alley where his sunglasses are um, and he has to retrieve them from a garbage truck. He goes back to see Frank. Frank at the building site. Who meets him later at the alley. Uh, Roddy tries to get him to put on the glasses, and we get an epic fight.
1: <laughs> Definitely, yeah.
0: A near yeah. six-minute fight, which yeah. is, um, it's just it's just wonderful to watch. It's not crazily choreographed, but it. While I was watching it, despite the fact that it probably goes longer than expected, it's very. Sort of realistic, you know, sort of brawler style. There's no, nothing fancy to it. It's just, just a lot of punching and kicking. Um, and apparently, the apparently, really... was... go on, gone gone. You,
1: you're probably going to say the fact that I've got gone.
0: I was going to say, apparently, they really went at each other as well.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things, you know, if you
0: if you look back at it, uh,
1: from the goofs part of it, you can see that Frank has actually got knee pads on. Oh, really? Yeah, so unfortunately, you can see his knee pads when you watch it a second time around, or uh, well, more than once, uh, as 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 is my case. And apparently, John Carpenter was a big um, fan of The Quiet Man, the film The Quiet Man, and apparently that's where he got the idea of this mammoth fight, because it happens in The Quiet Man. He
0: liked that, and he always wanted to incorporate it in one of his films, so, yeah. It's very good, though. It's probably the highlight of the movie, I reckon. Um, so Frank finally puts the glasses on and sees aliens yeah. and the UFO. Um, they've taken a beaten up walk to a hotel, a very beaten up walk. Um, and they go into hiding. Uh, Gilbert from the church meetings fights, them, finds them and invites them to a meeting with the others who have had this alien truth revealed to them. At the meeting, the guys are given contact lenses to replace the sunglasses. We also learn... Actually, I'll, I'll just say that I wasn't on board with the contact lenses. I wish I'd just kept the sunglasses. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I think when you watch back at it, the, and,
0: and the, the, the sunglasses
1: are the film, aren't they? So, It seems like quite, an
0: unnecessary it... plot point, but it's there, yeah. It's there regardless. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of is that they were struggling to film the ap- the action scenes with sunglasses on, maybe, oh, I don't know.
1: Yeah, so they wrote it in, didn't they, They're saying that obviously the, that sunglasses give you severe headaches and the contact lenses didn't give you them headaches. So they kind of got around it in that way too. And I think it, it, everything kind of evolves and gets better, doesn't it, in time. So I'd like to think that the terrorists, as we know them now, who, who are seen as the terrorists, kind of got, got a bit of backing. And they got the funding to kind of get the contact lenses to get away from the headaches. But also, like you said, everything, everything gets better in time. And I'm sure that the, the aliens as such uh, would recognise, you know, sunglasses or in particular sunglasses are the ones where they can yeah, be seen. Absolutely. So I, I reckon there's an element where... the they would They needed to kind of progress and change into to to, uh, to contact lenses
0: yeah i was just uh, but yeah
1: from a from a film point of view i'm sure you're right matt It probably yeah. <laughs> they're stuck a bit of an edit going... Oh, no you're probably right absolutely
0: would have been l- less easy to recognize them with the sunglasses which actually showed later on isn't it um yeah. where are we so we also learned the aliens are trying to turn our planet's atmosphere into something more like their own uh, through global warming and that their signal there is a signal somewhere hypnotizing everyone. The previously kidnapped Holly arrives at the meeting, which actually I think she arrives with all that information. Um, she claims that the signal signal isn't coming from cable 54. It is, yeah. <laughs> the, meeting, <I> <laughs> the meeting is raided by cops and there is a massive shootout, seemingly only Roddy and Frank's escape. Uh which they do by an emergency exit portal created by one of the alien watches. They end up in an alien base. Is it a base? Yeah, it's it's quite a strange
1: one, isn't it, where you end up. Um they, they claim it's like, it's the the it's city, like, but yeah, and it's like it's like a teleport, it's like an airport, isn't it, to another dimension? <laughs> I think there's a song in there somewhere, Mark, yeah, <laughs> it's like a it's a it is like a teleportation to another. Uh, you know, you can see there's kind of like arrivals and departures, and you see people zooming off like you you would see something Star Trek as such. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. An interesting fact of that too is, and I haven't got it wrote down in any way, uh, is the two guards who were near the cabin by all accounts are using the, the gargameters, gargameters from Ghostbusters. The props yes, they're they using are, them.
0: Yeah. yeah, I did notice that. I saw that. Um PKE meter. Sorry, it's the PKE meter from Ghostbusters. Is that yeah. yeah? Yeah. Uh let's see. So they discover a meeting between aliens and human co-conspirators celebrating the elimination of the terrorists on a good business year. Uh they're approached by one of the people from I think it's from the old shanty town, who again I don't yes, didn't really pick up on it. and, uh,
1: and Mark, this is brilliant. I've watched it. I, I don't know how many times. <laughs> And I don't know if this is something to do with my, uh, you know, my observational skills or what. But I've watched it that many times, and I didn't realize that that bloke we meet at the at the end, in the, you know, who becomes a conspirator, was actually the bloke sat in the shantytown watching the TV with his old hat on in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a stool, yeah. shouting and complaining about the TV signal. <laughs> and I didn't know it was the same
0: bloke. I've watched it that many times. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely him. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Um, let's see. <laughs> I've lost it. Uh they're approached by one of the people from the old shanty Town who is now part of the conspiracy. He assumes that they are too and gives them a tour of the base. Uh yeah. they're shown a planet to planet transporter. I think that's what it was. Uh yeah. and also a new show at Studio 54. So now they do know the source of the transmitter. They st- we, we told them we knew that we did we, we, we just know. told them not long we long ago, knew yeah yeah uh, they start to shoot the place up escaping up to the studio offices and heading to the roof and transmitter along the way they discover holly is still alive and the three head to the roof together hot rod runs ahead and oh no holly shoots frank revealing herself as now an alien ally what a bitch yeah atrocious absolutely atrocious on the roof, Holly confronts Hot Rod and tries to convince him to join them. He is also being circled by a helicopter. He shoots Holly and destroys the transmitter. The helicopter kills him, but he manages to give him a rod or the thing finger. Yeah. We get a compilation of quite funny alien reveals and tits. Yeah. <laughs> you can't beat the good 80s
1: horror film ending with some tits and some, and some weird yeah, we can't got you? some We got but, some tits uh,
0: right at the end.
1: And you know we, we we laugh about it, but as a as a young young kid watching that, that was always the the comical part of it. I mean, obviously, we talk about I, I come and eat a tube bubble gum and all that, and we would tear that in the playground. But obviously, we had the little you know smutty laughter about the tits at the end, and uh, it was funny.
0: And I think it's quite a funny scene. too. it is say. a funny, um, it is a funny scene. I I um I think I probably enjoyed I enjoyed that compilation at the end quite a lot actually. Um, and I did, I have written, I yeah. just have written tits. <laughs> I can't beat you. You can't beat him. Well done. Um, yeah. so that brings us to the end of the film. Um, so. That was a good run through, Mark. No, yeah, it was good though. So obviously, like I said, this is the first time that I've seen it. Now, I'm not going to lie to you before I was running through the film. Um, I was probably going to say that I didn't like it very much. Um, A, because the horror elements were quite thin on the ground. Um, and B, because, I don't know, there were just bits about it that I didn't like. Like it's it starts really weirdly and, and slowly and then it changes to something else. And like I said, there were bits of it that are genius, but other bits that seem to drag along. But talking to you about it, and this has happened almost every time I've done this now, talking to you about it and going through it, it's actually, I'm going to air on the side and say it's it, it was good, and I probably did enjoy it. <laughs> and do, do you know what I always say about this film, Matt? I always think it's well
1: overdue, a remake, because I think there's a good concept in there. You know, there's a good concept. And I think in this day and age with, with, with the IT and the wizardry that we have with technology uh, and effects, that could be made into a very good film. Good actors, good budget, good effects. There's there's a good premise there for a good horror film. I, I will grant you that from the horror point of view, I would like, I would probably err on a side that it was probably more sci-fi-ish uh, on edging towards horror. But yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Lost my voice there. Went back to teenagers Yeah <laughs> Um is it So my review here is So we've got We're going two ways really So it's either a creative psychopath Or it's shit <laughs>
1: I'm I'm happy everywhere. I mean,
0: there's no. We've
1: known each other for a long time, Mark, and to the point of, you know, we talk about horror quite a bit. We on horror groups and such forth. You know what I like horror wise, and I think this is a good start for our little little conversations. If we have more going forward, uh, their Live is a great film. I'm sure I've got a lot more films I'd love to talk about, as you know. Uh, Lost Boys being one of those, and again, that kind of uh, hits quite a few genres, really, of horror, comedy, comedy and such. forth uh, but again,
0: so you can yeah, you give it a creative psychopath. Then it's not shit. It's a creative psychopath
1: for me all day long, yeah. all day long. And I and I think it, it it can be an absolute brilliant film in the right hands, in the right director's hands, with the right budget and the right cast. Uh, i think it could be an absolute bonus it, it's it's a good film for its time it's dated uh, it's obviously had a very low budget but for me the memories of watching it as a kid the continuous memories of continuing to watch watching it if it's on tv i'll always find myself watching it so
0: well i'm gonna back myself into a corner with this rating system because it's it's one way or the other so i'm gonna i'll go for a creating creative psychopath on this one too but excellent i think i might argue that it doesn't need be to be remade. I think it's pretty good as it is. I think the the effects hold up. the The aliens look great. Yeah, you know.
1: Would you not but, argue that although that a, a good budget and a good director, uh, some good acting would just just push it that bit more into the the landlight, the stardom, and, and make it a blockbuster essentially? Because this is what what this is kind of like an 80s throwback film which only a very select few really watch adore
0: and continue watching and are fans of it's you know true uh, i don't i don't know i just i can't see it being remade and being um, really any better than this cuz this is see there you
1: go so that means that it's good this, is, this it's, has got
0: you know, i can see why it's a cult film I won't go back and watch it again. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've watched it twice now, but I won't go back and watch it again. Um, but there are bits in it that stand that stand out like a lot of the lines from Hot Rod. Um that fight is brilliant. Um like I say, the chucking him out of a window took me by surprise. Anyway, we're rambling on that. We're rambling on now. We've 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 gone through it, we've rated it. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, uh, Right, so that is the filling of this horror sandwich. Really should have called this podcast Horror Sandwich, but oh well. Um, So, we've got two last questions for you. So, what's a scary moment for a non-horror movie that you remember? I thought long and hard about this, and...
1: And and it's strange because obviously I've got a young one now, so I've been introduced to some kids' films or of that genre in the last couple of years. And 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 sadly, and I'm sure a lot of people have come up with this and agree with me, but I only watched the Return of the Oz, Return of the Oz, Return of Return of Oz. Return of Oz Oz. two or three years ago. And then wheelers were absolutely frightening. I mean, (laughs) I'm fairly good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in my late 30s yeah. when I watched that for the first time, and I thought, Jesus, that's frightening.
0: Uh, that film's frightening indeed. all the way through,
1: and it's a kids' film, but them <laughs> wheelers, uh, God Almighty, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, you're right. The frightening, and I think that 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 takes it for me, Mark. To be fair,
0: from that question, yeah, no, you're right. Right, okay. If you could make a non-horror movie into a horror movie, what would you choose? Again. Mark, I, I've thought long and hard about this. I've
1: looked at uh, films that i watched in mid-childhood. Um, I, and I don't know if you want me to kind of, like, look at the list of what I'm, I, was thinking, I was thinking of, things like The Goonies, uh, Flight of the Navigator. I mean, even the film Ghost with Patrick Swayze could be kind of pretending to some kind of horror remake. Even Toy Story, I think there's an element where that could be made into horror. But I'm going to go down the child genre, and I'm going to go with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That definitely could be made into some kind of horror. Uh, I mean, the synopsis of the film itself, the basis of that you would go into a chocolate factory which is full of all kinds of oddities and strangeness, and again, the main character is a very, very strange character. It is, in fact, a horror for kids, and I, I reckon the premise of that, I'm sure it's been done in a horror, could be made as a
0: horror. And I hope that Satisfies the answer yeah. on
1: that, but
0: you're right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It's. I mean, last week's last week's guest um, said that his non-horror m- moment was right. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory because it is, you know, that boat ride is genuinely scary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, or they would all only need to ramp it up slightly to make it a one-scary yeah. film. Um, so yeah, nope, that is an excellent choice. Right, well, that's the final piece of bread. That's this horror sandwich completed. Um, so we're at the end of the podcast now. So uh, I'd like to thank Andy very much. Yeah,
1: thanks, Mark. Sorry, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, my first introduction to the podcast and I've thoroughly really enjoyed it. I, I laughed along, brought with a lot of good memories of my uh, horror fandom days of being young. Uh, so, yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: Good, I'm glad it'll be excellent to get you back on sometime. Right. So if you want to contact the podcast, you can do at Creative psychopaths pod at gmail.com. Um, I'm also going to be starting a Facebook group, so you're welcome to come on there. It'll just be Creative Psychopaths on Facebook. Um, where I'm gonna start posting next week's movie so you can comment on there and uh, get your name on the podcast and we'll read out your comments. Um apart from that, as always. Lovely to have you and boy.